0: If April is the cruelest month, October is the honest month when it comes to baseball. October doesn't lie. You can't fool October. That's what I love about it. There's nowhere to hide. Welcome to In the Bullpen with Mark Dewey, sponsored by Developing Contenders Ministries. You're listening to the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for joining us. And look who's coming up. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! Each week between episodes, I'm always thinking about where I want to go, the direction I want to take with the upcoming episode. Sometimes that comes to me, or I figure it out, earlier in the week, sometimes much later in the week. But this past week, I had a good idea, the theme or the direction I wanted to go with this episode early on. As a matter of fact, Tuesday. Tuesday was the beginning of the League Division Series, and there were four games. All of the series began Tuesday. And before the night was out, I said, I know what I want to focus on. But then a couple of days later... I received an article. A good friend of mine, brother in Christ, fine baseball coach, avid baseball fan, Nicholas Perkins, sent me an article. It was titled Lessons of October, and it was written by Kevin Kernan, and he wrote it at ball9.com. The words that I used in my intro came from, or at least were derived from, what he wrote in his article. I want to read the beginning of his article and then one line from something later in the article, because it really resonates with what I was thinking and in many ways how I think about the game of baseball. He wrote, If April is the cruelest month, October is the honest month when it comes to baseball. October doesn't lie. You can't fool October. The theories of the summer give way to the hard lessons of October. Number one is don't embarrass the game. In July on a hot summer night, You can get away with playing the fool. Mistakes are quickly forgotten as the grind of the season rolls over to a new day. Not in October. The spotlight is bright. There is nowhere to hide, especially when it comes to pitching changes. That change you make is there on all the highlights to stare back at you. Later in the article, he writes, again, that is what I love about October. There is nowhere to hide to hide. Now he touches on a lot of things in this article and addresses particular details in this article. But again, it resonates so much with me because it is the attitude and and the thoughts that I have in many ways about baseball and about baseball in October, where things are amplified. Playoff baseball, decisions, success on the field, failure on the field, whether or not we are embarrassing the game, all of these things become much more focused in the postseason. And during this time, there are some players and teams that have a tendency to want to hide. Others want that bright spotlight. Now we're to the point in the postseason where some players and teams no longer have a spotlight because they've been eliminated from the playoffs, but others are basking in it. And through it all, Up till now, and what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks, there is so much for us to see, to hear, to think about, to discuss, to debate, to learn, and to apply. I want to shine a spotlight on a number of things that happened over the past week. And so many things happened. I've obviously got to pick and choose which ones to shine the spotlight on. As I mentioned, the League Division Series got underway on Tuesday, four games being played. Many of those series came to an end on Saturday when, again, four games were played. And from the beginning to the end, and we're not quite to the end of the division series yet, there is yet one game to be played tonight, but from beginning to end, there is no lack of highlights or stories. And one of the earliest highlights, one of the biggest stories, took place last Tuesday night in Game 1. But his numbers against the Astros this year as a starter were awful. The 0-1. And Alvarez belts it! Deep to right field! Gets it goodbye! Unbelievable! The Astros, a walk-off win! Jordan Alvarez, a walk-off three-run homer! And the Astros stunned the Mariners in game one of the division series! Incredible! The house of horrors for the Seattle Mariners continues! Wow. Game one, Jordan Alvarez comes to the plate, two on, two outs, bottom of the ninth, the Astros trailing the Mariners seven to five when he hits that home run. And they were going nuts in Houston, in the stands, in the city, and in the broadcast booth. Now, after the game, Dusty Baker, who's been in this game at the Major League level since the late 1960s, so he has seen a whole lot. He was on deck when Hank Aaron hit home run number 715. He was asked about where this ranks in the greatest moments that he's ever seen. and This is what he said. I don't know what the top is, but that's very, very close to it. He went on. That's, boy, I mean... The baseball world had to be excited. I know the town is excited. Our team's excited. No doubt about that. And since then, some have made the argument that that home run in game one, the walk-off three-run homer, was the most important play in postseason history. And in saying that and claiming that, and again, who knows if it's true or not, most people would say, now what moves down to number two that had been number one is something you hear every week when you listen to this podcast. Kurt Gibson's home run in Game 1 of the World Series in or excuse me 1988 when the Dodgers hosted the Oakland A's in Game 1. Not only have people made the argument that it might be the most important play in postseason history, but that game, Game 1, for Jordan Alvarez might have been the most historic game performance by a player in postseason history. He hit the walk-off, but earlier in the game, he hit a double in the third inning, which cut Seattle's lead from 4 to nothing to 4-2 to two, and also had a great throw from the outfield. But that's only one side of the story. There's another side of the story. It goes back to part of what I read from that article from Kevin Kernan. That is the Scott Service pitching decision. He brought Robbie Ray in, two on, two outs, two-run lead, bottom of the ninth, to pitch to Jordan Alvarez. Robbie Ray, a fastball pitcher, versus Alvarez, a fastball hitter. Robbie Ray, who in the regular season gave up 32 home runs, the second most in the American League in 2022. Robbie Ray, who if you were listening closely at the beginning of that audio clip, Robbie Ray, who had really terrible numbers as a starting pitcher, against Houston during the regular season. And also, not in that clip, Robbie Ray, who had pitched on Saturday, so a week ago Saturday, in the wildcard series against Toronto and had a very rough outing. But that was the game that the Mariners had their epic comeback victory. And so that, of course, leads to people second-guessing the decision made by Scott Service. And some would argue, and I think rightfully so, because I saw in real time, they would say, I'm not second-guessing. I was saying he should make this decision before the home run was hit. But we have to ask ourselves some questions. What happened as it regards, why did Scott Service make that pitching decision, given all that I've told you and so much more that I haven't? Well, some would say he just had a brain cramp, that the pressure got to him, that he choked. Some might even argue, ah, he's clueless. He doesn't know what he's doing. I'm going to say no to that one. First of all, he spent more than a decade as a Major League catcher. Major League catchers are smart about the game of baseball. Major League catchers often make very, very good coaches and very, very good managers because they're always aware of what's going on on the whole field. As an aside, it has nothing to do with this at all. Catchers also have a tendency to be very good batting practice pitchers, but that's another point. But I don't don't think that's it. I, I don't he's also had success as a manager. So I can't pass it off to he just choked or the pressure got to him or he doesn't know what he's doing. A second option, and this is one that was put forth by Kevin Kernan in his article, is that it was the data and analytics people that forced this decision. And based on some of the things that Scott Service said post-game, I think that's viable. In other words, before the game, before the situation, Scott Service was told, If this situation presents itself, this is what we're going to do. I think that's a viable option. But there's something else that many times people do not consider. And that is, no, the manager's not clueless. And it may not even be that he was, quote-unquote, forced to do so. It could be that there's more to the story than we know. The manager and the rest of the coaching staff and the organization has information that the public doesn't have. And sometimes a decision not to use a person when you think, well, that would be the person to use in this situation, is because of information we don't know. I'll give you an example. I don't remember if it was 2014 when the Royals ended up losing in the World Series to the Giants or 2015 when they went on to win the World Series beating the Mets. But during the postseason, I was down in Instructional League in Arizona and staying at the team hotel And at that time, Ned Yost was the manager for the Kansas City Royals. He had once been the manager of the Milwaukee Brewers. But his son, Ned Yost IV, he and I worked together. And he and I were in Instructional League together. And he and I were in the hotel together. And he and I were sitting in the lobby watching the postseason. And I don't remember what happened or didn't happen, but it was a pitching decision that was made by Ned Yost. Either he didn't start this guy or he didn't bring that guy in, whatever it was, and the media, as we're watching the game or the pregame, whatever it was, the media is all over him. How could he do that? Or how could he not do this or the other thing? And I simply turned to Ned IV, Ned Yost's son, and I said, I'm assuming your dad knows things that these guys don't. And Ned simply said, that's exactly right. I didn't ask him what it was. But Ned knew that something was going on that impacted the decision his father made about a particular pitching change or lack thereof. We need to keep that in mind. And here's an example that's very fresh. It happened last week. So I know there's a number of people that listen to this podcast that are Cardinal fans. I know there's a number of people like myself who, not necessarily a Cardinal fan, but respect people like Yadier Molina, Albert Pujols, and Adam Wainwright. Well, if you look at the end of the season for Adam Wainwright, it didn't go so well. And you might think, well, what's going on here? Well, he felt bad about what happened at the end of the season. And so he took to Twitter, and he started by saying that he wanted to clear up a few things as to why he didn't pitch like he wanted to down the stretch. And he said, I, f- I feel I need to explain this. And then he did. He said, it back in August, August the 28th, facing the Braves, he got hit in the knee by a comebacker. No big deal. It happens, right? Well, here's what happened after that. It caused his stride distance or length, different people use different terminology, to decrease by a foot. So let's just say for the sake of argument, his stride distance toward home plate was typically six feet. It had shortened to five feet. And that, of necessity, caused a change in his delivery. And he didn't recognize it at first. He thought he just had dead arm. But then he said, I didn't stay diligent enough with my film work to catch it immediately. And then he went on. The end of the season should have been way different for me. And who knows what happens if I'm sharp down the stretch? Who knows how things play out? And he says, I feel terrible about it. Y'all deserve better. My team deserve better. I owed an explanation. So there you go. So that's a classic example of information we didn't have at the end of August through September and into October about Adam Wainwright, but that we now have. But let's get back to Alvarez. Not only did he have a tremendous game in game one, in game two, he hit a home run in the sixth inning to again give Houston a lead. And then later in that game, in the eighth inning, with a man on first base, he was intentionally walked. So again, Dusty Baker, who's seen a lot of things, was also the manager of the San Francisco Giants when Barry Bonds was being intentionally walked in situations unheard of before. And he sees the parallel. Now, Alvarez, in hitting that home run in game two, became the only player in postseason history with multiple go-ahead home runs in the sixth inning or later with his team trailing. The only player. And not simply in a postseason, but in a postseason career. He did it in two games. Now, he's one of the best hitters in Major League Baseball. So, in some ways, it's no surprise that he did what he did in that series against the Mariners. But what I love about October is, not only do you see great hitters and people that you expect to produce, like Jordan Alvarez, doing it, but you will see every October surprises individual players that surprise you, teams that surprise you, that rise to the occasion. We're seeing both this postseason. One of those players that has done so is Trent Grisham. Hitting in the 8 hole for the San Diego Padres. He had a miserable season batting 184 on the year for the Padres. And he had an even more miserable September when he hit only a buck seven. But in the postseason so far... He's hitting 381 with three home runs, including a home run against Scherzer in Game 1 of the Wild Card Series and DeGrom in Game 2 of that series. And not only has Trent Grisham overcome a rough season to have a great postseason, he is shining as the spotlight is on the postseason. But remember, he had a I-want-to-hide type moment just three years ago. So if you remember right, that was the wild card game. At that time, a one-game playoff. Win or go home. And the Brewers were leading in that game 3-1 to one in the bottom of the eighth inning. Josh Hader was on the mound. And that base hit, which should have scored one for sure and maybe two, ended up scoring three. The Nats took a 4-3 to three lead, won the game, and the Brewers went home. And Trent Grisham was in right field for the Brewers. And he's a very good defensive outfielder. But the ball took a funny hop, hit off his glove, got behind him. What a miserable time for him when the spotlight was shining. But look how he's come back from that in this postseason. I already mentioned that his teammate with the Brewers was Josh Hader. He was on the mound. And he is now his teammate in San Diego. The man who hit that ball was Juan Soto who is also a teammate with Grisham and Hayter with the Padres right now. And not only is uh, Trent Grisham a big surprise for the Padres, the Padres are an even bigger surprise. They are on their way to face the Philadelphia Phillies in the National League Championship Series. Both teams have won series that few predicted they would win. Probably none except the fans of these two teams. The Phillies were the third best team in the NL East. They were the final team in the National League to make the postseason, and if it hadn't been for the new format, they wouldn't even be in the postseason. And yet, despite that, they're headed to the National League Championship Series. The 3-2, swing and a miss, he got him! And the ball game and the series are over. And the Phillies are headed to the National League Championship Series. An 8-3 win. The Phillies celebrate on the mound. And this crowd can celebrate as the Phillies' season will continue. They have toppled the Cardinals and the heavily favored Braves. And the Phillies in front of this near euphoric crowd. Get the party started. So as I mentioned, Saturday had four games. Three of those four games resulted in a team clinching and moving on, the Phillies being one of those teams. And so the Phillies are definitely playing well under the bright spotlight of October. And the Philly fans are very, very excited, understandably so. But again, that spotlight doesn't only catch the good, but also the bad. And in that game, even though it ended up being a blowout, in that game, there was an inside-the-park home run hit by J.T. Real Muto of the Phillies. And it was hit to left center field and caromed off the wall and shot back to right field. And Michael Harris Jr., who was the center fielder who tried to make the catch, was also the man who picked up the ball and threw it in, but way too late to get Real Muto at home. Ronald Acuna Jr. was playing right field. He didn't move, or at least not much. He was nowhere in the picture when Harris Jr. picked up the ball. And I was listening to the game on the Phillies broadcast. I was watching my son play a baseball game, and the Phillies announcers, in particular Larry Anderson, were all over Acuna Jr. One of the announcers said that Acuna, he had struggled. It was after he actually had struck out for the third time. They had talked about this play, and one of the announcers said that he not only is struggling at the plate, but he looks lost in right field. And Larry Anderson said, It's not so much that he looks lost, but disinterested. That's tough. And and unless you think it's only Philly announcers or a crotchety old man like Larry Anderson, who, you know, he played way back in the day, that would say such a thing, I switched over to the Braves broadcast, and the Braves announcers were also very upset with Acuna Jr. on that play. So again, you can't escape the spotlight. You may want to run and hide. There's nowhere to hide in October. As I mentioned, the Phillies move on. The National League Championship Series begins tomorrow. The Phillies, who finished the regular season with only 87 wins, beat the Cardinals, who had 93 wins, and then the Braves, who had 101 wins. And they're going to be facing the San Diego Padres, the Padres who won 89 games, that eliminated the Mets who won 101 games, and then the big series win, And this is for multiple reasons, as they beat the Los Angeles Dodgers, who won 111 games, and they clinched that on Saturday night. One strike. All right, we got to play with the honesty rules. Did you predict this matchup in the NLCS? Did you predict it was going to be Phillies versus Padres? I can guarantee, well, I can't guarantee, I would be willing to guess with some confidence that there's nobody that predicted that. Maybe there is. Again, Phillies fans might have wanted the Phillies there and predicted it. Padres fans might have wanted the Padres there and predicted it. But did anybody, before it happened, before the postseason began, say, here's going to be the matchup in the National League Championship Series? I don't think so. Now, I do believe most would have believed that it would be the Astros who would return to the American League Championship Series. And they're going to for the sixth straight season, which is an AL record. And they swept the Padres, they swept the Mariners three games to none. That said, that series was a lot closer than what it appeared, and they won the final game of that series, one nothing in eighteen innings. And here's what Astros manager Dusty Baker had to say post game after that one nothing win and the three nothing series win.
1: You know, we didn't even know Lance was going to pitch because he had he had been sick. You know, he worked on himself. My um, fitness staff worked on him. You know, I'd have had to. I had to fight him, you know, for him not to pitch because he loves to pitch and loves to pitch in these uh, kind of games and these scenarios. Our pitching staff did a heck of a job here. Theirs did a heck of a job, especially tonight on us, And because uh, it's hard to hold somebody scoreless for that long. You know, this is, this is some team. Uh, I mean, these guys, they, they, they grind and grind and grind, and then sooner or later, uh, you know, we broke through. These guys, they know not to panic. Um, you know, they don't get too excited. They don't get too down. It, you know, it means a lot once you've been through it And then you go through it again and again and again and you sort of expect excellence and uh, that's what this team expects out of itself and uh, You know, we didn't know who the hero was going to be tonight um, You know, we, but we were hoping that we'd have somebody and, and we had somebody in in Pena and um, You know this whole series, you know, it's been different guys uh, but our, our our pitching staff and our bullpen did a heck of a job during during this whole series. You know, I love these young guys. I mean, and the old dudes too. But I really love the young guys because they follow they follow uh, you know the old dudes.
0: I would encourage you to go back and listen to that again because so many of the things that Dusty said in those post game comments are indicative not only of what makes for a winning baseball team but indicative of what makes for success or winning or overcoming or whatever it might be in all of life. And I especially like the words at the end of the interview, that the young guys are following the lead of the old guys. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast for quite some time, you know that back in 2020, that the first guest I had in the bullpen was Dusty Baker. And I don't remember exactly what I said, but it had to do with, Older guys leading younger guys. And Dusty said, I believe there are still the older veteran players that are willing to lead. My concern and my question is, are there young players willing to follow? And he just said that indeed that's what's happening with the Houston Astros. So four teams this regular season won 100-plus games. Only the Astros of those four teams remain. And they are headed to the American League Championship Series. That series gets underway on Wednesday. The Astros will be hosting that game, but against who? Will it be Cleveland or the New York Yankees? Because while all of the series came to a conclusion on Saturday, it was all but one, Indians, Yankees. They are going to game five. That game is being played tonight and will start at 7.07 p.m. You have Cleveland, who has the 28th, Payroll in Major League Baseball at just over 64 million against the Yankees, who have the third highest payroll at more than 265 million. So the third lowest against the third highest. Now, I didn't really have a rooting interest in this series between the Yankees and the Indians. Sometimes I root for a team because if it was the Tigers, it's a team I grew up watching. If it's the Giants or the Mets or the Pirates or the Brewers, because I played and/or coached with those teams. Sometimes it's because I know staff on those teams. Whatever the case may be, I didn't really have a rooting interest in this series until last night. And now I do. And now I am rooting for the New York Yankees to win. Don't hate me for that. I'm rooting for the New York Yankees to win. Well, why? Last night in the fourth inning, the Yankees were leading that game 3-1. to one. Garrett Cole was on the mound for the Yankees. And Josh Naylor hit a home run to cut that lead to three to two. Well, I'm not rooting for the Yankees because Josh Naylor hit a home run. I'm rooting for the Yankees because of what Josh Naylor did after hitting that home run. He ran around the bases with his arms like he's cradling a baby. He ran around the bases cradling the baby. And then he definitively said something along the lines of he's Garrett Cole's dad or daddy. It's reportedly said that he said he's Garrett Cole's adjective daddy and an adjective that I cannot repeat. <laughs> I woke up this morning, I had seen that already last night, but I woke up this morning and one of the headlines to videos said, must see, talking about this home run trot. And I thought, must see, are you kidding me? What I would say is must-see is what if somebody had done that to Bob Gibson or Nolan Ryan, or for that fact, to many of the pitchers I played with again and against in my day. It would not have fared well. Now, I get it. I don't know what Garrett Cole was thinking, I guess, post-game. He said he didn't see it, and then when he saw the video, he tried to handle it best he could. But in-game, in that situation, there's not a lot you can do. But that is completely disrespectful disrespectful in every conceivable category. And some people want to argue that maybe he didn't mean it disrespectfully or this. No, 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 no. It is disrespectful, objectively disrespectful to Garrett Cole, to the New York Yankees, to me, to baseball fans everywhere, to the game itself. Now you might say to me, well, wait a second. Because one guy, one player hit one home run and did that, you're now voting... You're now rooting for the New York Yankees to win the series? You're going to do that because of one player? Well, no, I wouldn't do that because of one player. But it appears from what I can tell that it's not simply one player. Yes, it's one player who does it, but it's the whole team that basically is not doing anything about it. Not saying, no, 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 no. that's not how we play this game. And so that's why I've now decided to root for the Yankees to win tonight's baseball game. Now, sometimes... The spotlight shines even in defeat. I mentioned that the Mariners got beat three games to nothing in that series against Houston. But again, a very, very close series. A lot to look forward to if you are a Mariners player, part of their organization, part of their fan base. A lot to look forward to. And the spotlight shined on one person, one player in particular, not named Julio Rodriguez. Should be AL Rookie of the Year Is obviously got a bright future ahead of him and is going to be a cornerstone to what looks like it's going to be a very good team for years to come. But instead, it shined on Seattle catcher Cal Raleigh. He was the one who hit that walk-off home run that ended Seattle's 21-year drought that got them into the postseason. Well, again, listening to games on the radio, I was listening to the Seattle broadcast of one of the postseason games against the Astros. And they were talking about the fact that he had been playing with a left thumb injury for quite some time. I guess it was at least a month. And it really affected him hitting from the right side of the plate. Not so much from the left side, but still would have been a factor. For a month, he played with that. They talked about him being bandaged up, probably had five pounds worth of stuff on his left hand to be able to catch. Remember, he's a catcher. And not only that, he caught all 18 innings of that game Saturday night in that one nothing lost to Houston. 18 innings, 6 hours and 22 minutes, 234 pitches, and we found out after the fact that he has a torn UCL and bone fragments that chipped off in that thumb. This is where words like tough, gamer, fighter, team player, selfless, overcomer are aptly a pride. And it should remind us that the spotlight sometimes shines brightest at times in our lives that appear dark. Of course, we should never expect it to do so if we are whiners and wimps. But that's a conversation for another day. Join us next time for In the Bullpen on the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for joining us.